With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, the transfer window's open, and that only means one thing. It's time for your Anfield Index Transfer Rumor Podcast to return for the January 2020 window. I'm your host, Justin Wells. You can find me at Rolls on Shabbos on Twitter. And joining me as always, my, my, my trusty friend and person who makes, uh, you, who makes me sound better than I am, all the way from the UK to Diwa Chanakira. Hey, Justin. How you been? I've been good. You do make me sound better than I am. But uh, <laughs> thus far... Uh, you know, the transfer window's open in Liverpool. We've already done some of our work for us, you know. Make us not have to scout players and go out and bring in Takubi Minamino, who we'll get to in a minute. But I, I guess, how how are you feeling about Liverpool's squad depth at the moment? And, you know, how are you feeling about the, the, the season overall is an easier question because obviously we all feel great about it. But do, do, do you see anything that could trip us up uh, from a squad depth perspective or anything else that you think besides uh, Minamino that you'd like to see us... Uh, kind of locked down during this window. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest debate that can be had at the moment is squad depth. Um, I think even, for example, starting 11 just based on injuries is kind of picking itself as per, you know, the the run of games that that, that are happening thick and fast. You can sort of see the rotation and everything. Um, and I think squad depth is something that's going to probably follow us the whole season. It, it was a huge uh, talking point at the beginning of the season considering we only signed, you know, youth players. So it was always the concern that if one of the big boys go down and go down for a long time, will we be able to cope? And we've seen throughout this season, you know, the likes of injuries to Allison, which somehow doesn't get spoken about um, by pundits when they're talking about all the Man City injuries. Allison one always seems to be, you know, forgotten when it comes to Liverpool. Um but how crucial was that then, that signing coming in, Adrian coming in on a free transfer? Um, and then also, you know, we've lost Fabinho recently. We know the trouble we have with our centre-backs, which, you know, I think that was a calculated risk going into the season. And I'm, I know one specific centre-back coming back from loan that we'll talk about a bit later. Um, but it's in midfield, which I think probably we were most well-stocked in in terms of both numbers and um, probably quality levels not dropping too, too much. 
Um, and there seems to be a fair few injuries that have been happening in and around there. So I think we're okay at the moment. A, a few more, and, and it might get a bit hairy, especially any to that front three, I think probably is the biggest talking point. But the reinforcement that came in, um, you mentioned Minamino, hopefully that helps alleviate some of that. So I think at the moment, we're probably, we can handle this in terms of squad depth and the injuries that we have. But if we start picking up one or two more, especially in this January window where the majority of injuries actually do come, not during the December period, it's more the January once um, people get past that Christmas break and then they start, um, you know, they they start thinking maybe they, that's um, they're going to be fine and everything. That's when the injuries become even more pronounced. So that will be the interesting one to see. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I think I agree with a lot of what you say. The one place that I'm also really very concerned is actually just because of the way we play, uh, the fullbacks, right? Um, as in particular with the defensive, with the defensive, uh, injury, the injuries to Matip and Lovren, it doesn't give you the luxury of actually playing Joe Gomez at right back, which by the way, isn't something that I, that I like seeing. I don't want anybody to think that that's it. Something, uh, you know, a, a, a problem that I think Joe is the answer to. But I just think considering the way in which our fullbacks play, knowing that, you know, James Milner is probably the deputy for either one of them, uh, as much as I like James Milner, that's not something I, I don't want to see him play right back or left back with, um, any, any great regularity where it's a week in, week out thing, but I'm okay with him doing it in certain games. Um, that's a spot that does scare me. I do think we need to start picking up, uh, fullbacks who we think can, uh, or players who we think can deputize what they do, maybe be it players who are in midfield even doing it, because Trent Alexander Arnold in particular, his playmaking ability is important to us, so we need to keep him healthy. And uh, I think that uh, you know that, that's what I just I just say the fullback position is what scares me. Um, the midfield, I think it's really we just need to start getting guys back. We need Fabinho back sooner rather than later. Um, thankfully, in January, you know. The games do taper off, as you say. Injuries still play a part, but I think we should. I think we should have the numbers to cope with it. In particular, because of the fact that if any any injury anything happens, um, we now have you know two six players, two full threes that we can play up front. So we do have the ability to shift through a lot of different styles of play and tactical plays, tactical play up front to accommodate anything that we need to have happen in the midfield. So um, I'm comfortably, I'm, I'm confident, I'm comfortable, but I also think that. Um, the, the, they'll leave you before it yourself definitely gives me some uh some some definite you know reason to uh to to calm down and slow down and i think right now is actually probably a good time to talk about uh you know the goings on at liverpool obviously um let's start with the the purchase 7.25 million pounds meaning tra- release clause from red from uh red bull leipzig uh, sorry rb salzburg in the austrian league um, Takumi Minamino, to, um, for anybody who doesn't know too much about him, <clears throat> Minamino is a 24-year-old attacking midfielder or winger from uh, Japan, started his career in Saratoga, Osaga, um, moved, to, moved to Europe in Salzburg in 2015, uh, 136 appearances in uh, league appearances with Salzburg, uh, 42 goals. He's able to play any place across the front three. Uh, supremely impressive against us in, in the Champions League. Um, takes on the number 18 shirt, so he would be uh, following in the footsteps of Guy Trickle favorite Alberto Moreno, or uh, more likely for the kind of player that we anticipate him being um, an all-action, all-every-place, high-work-great forward, Dirk Kau. Um 
Tadima, what do you what do you think? What do you make of the signing? Um, and just to give you everybody else uh, an update. Also, the the full with Salzburg, um, 189 career games, 64 goals, 136 in the league, 42 goals. Um, just uh, I think he seems to be a, a very accomplished player for uh, for for where he is in his career, and seems to be the kind of signing that Liverpool um, have made recently, where it's just worked out extraordinarily well. So, Tadima, your take. Yeah, I think it's a very shrewd um, signing. I think maybe I'll start with the easiest point to start, and which is from a commercial side. Um, we know how much work has gone in, you know, to um, allowing Liverpool to reach their full potential from a commercial standpoint. Point um, the club, you know, from a club that was almost going into administration to where we are now, and the projections projections looking forward where we could be, it, it's quite tremendous the turnaround there. And you can't, you know, ignore the fact that this could also be a key factor. We've seen the effect that the likes of a Park Ji Sung going to Man United have had on the commercial side from from an Asian perspective. And I, I think that's fair to say that Takumi is definitely going to have maybe or hopefully he's going to have a, a similar effect, if not a bigger effect, on on Liverpool Football Club. I think the the key thing for us is he's coming in at an age where you know at 24 years of age we still got the best years of him ahead, and that's always you know important in terms of the model that Liverpool have um, utilized throughout uh, this tenure with FSG. It started off you know going for the 18 and 19 year olds, and those can always be pretty much hit and miss. You you don't know who's going to be the world world-class star and, and who's going to just phase away. Um, we've gone into older um, age group brackets and then we've gone into, you know, higher quality uh, brackets as well. And at 24, he's still young enough that you can shape him um, into anything really that, that, that you want him to be considering the characteristics that he has as a footballer. But also he's old enough to to be a player that can come in and have an impact and have a consistent impact, or at least we're going to start looking for him to have a consistent impact, you know, uh, between 26 and 30, maybe 32 at a stretch. That's probably his peak years. So we've got two years at least. Um, I know he turns 25 on the 16th of January, I think it was. So yeah, so 24, he'll be 25 pretty much from, from the get go. And, He's got about a year or two under Jurgen Klopp where he can really mold him and see what he has. We've seen the likes of Gini Wijnaldum come in with a distinct attacking position and, and being, you know, utilized in a completely different role. I don't think Minamino will be dropped deep like uh, Gini Wijnaldum was, but Klopp has shown that, you know, he's looking more at the, the, the raw assets that the talent has. And then, you know, based on Klopp's system, he can use that player in and around the different positions. And I think, you know, you look no further than Amin Amino in terms of his raw talents. As you've mentioned, um, a large number of games that he's been able to get under his belt for Salzburg. Definitely someone that under Salzburg's care has improved his sort of on-ball attributes in terms of co- close control, dribbling ability, being assured with himself in the final third. I think when he came into Salzburg, those were characteristics he had you know but very sporadic in his play um very inconsistent in terms of his dribbles uh not really assured and on on the purpose that he had it was more 
um, as you expect, a, y- a young kid just um, playing sort of like street football type. But he, he's added a bit more discipline on the ball in terms of playing with his head up, being confident with his dribbling to take players on, knowing that there's going to be an end result afterwards, which is exciting to see. And I think that's going to grow even more at Liverpool. And then obviously off-ball, Salzburg play a, a similar style to us in terms of you know high intensity, high press, um, asking for a lot in terms of work rate from the front players. And he's going to bring bags of that, you know, coming into this team. He allows us, um, which I thought was quite interesting from a timing perspective. If, if you look at Liverpool games recently, we haven't been shy to drop Firmino slightly deeper, especially in, in, in defensive situations and sort of go with a, a two up front of, of Mane and, and Salah at times where they're, they're going to be the outball on either flank, and they're sort of pulling the centre-backs into those wide positions. Now, if um, Takumi is, you know, deputising for, for a Firmino, for example, you can see him being comfortable dropping into that hole, looking to, to be the playmaker and, and starting counter-attacks really, really well. But as I've said, he can play anywhere in that front line. Maybe at a stretch he can even play in a 4-3-3 as one of the eights. It will be interesting to see if he does um, uh, on face value ba- based on, I, I, on I a, his profile. I have a general hope of no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but based on, on his profile, you wouldn't think that he would. Um, but, you know, stranger things have happened. But it, it seems like he would more be favored to a 4-2-3-1 or alternatively being rotated into that front three. So I think that it also puts, um, I, and I guess this is a good question is, We've seen Jordan Shakiri play sparingly, right? Typically with Shaq, 4-2-3-1 is the formation that works best for us because it, you know, kind of hides his, uh, his, his defensive output. Do you think that if, with Minamino coming in kind of reduces a lot of the opportunity for Shakiri or, because Origi's goal, Origi's role is a lot more defined, which is you're going to cut, most of the time when you come in, you're coming in and you're playing up top as a striker. But Shakiri comes in and he kind of plays as a, as a wing or an attacking midfield. And it feels like Minamino being brought in just pushes him one step back as far as the amount of time he's going to see the pitch. I don't, I don't know if you have any opinions on what his signing does to, you know, the playing time available to Shaq. Um, I think it's, it works out from a time standpoint because I, I don't think Shaq was ever signed as, as a long-term solution to, to anything. I think he was sort of signed as, Look at this bargain that we could get. Um, we can definitely turn a profit on him in the next two years. And he's going to help us as, as a useful squad player. And as you said, in terms of, you know, from a defensive standpoint, he's not necessarily one of the, the guys that you're going to be relying on. And it's almost sort of like a, a patronizing, um, congratulations whenever he does do defensive work where he does the, the basic minimum and people are lauding him for it, whereas other players maybe do a lot more and don't get as much credit. So he's definitely a luxury player for us. I think he's been very useful as a squad player, and um, I, I think he, he's allowed us to rotate, and he's allowed to, you know, he, he's come in and been an impact. He, he's one of those players that's really clever on the ball, so the more he plays with really smart footballers, the, the better he's going to look. And I think that's shown here um, in a stint at Liverpool. I can see Minamino being sort of not necessarily to say a direct re- replacement, but maybe a replacement of him 
in, in and around our squad and being someone that's more suited to our game than a Shakiri. Um, I think also the fact that Lalana always gets minutes regardless of, you know, whether he's signing the new contract or not, or sorry, whether, whether or not we're offering him a new contract, hey, which hey, I believe. Be careful, this because of certain photos he has of Jurgen. <laughs> Actually, at this point, he's left two uh, managers. I think he has photos of Mikey Edwards. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. It, it goes higher up than, than just the manager. Um, but he, he definitely gets a lot of minutes in games. So, you could even argue Lalana is ahead of Shakiri in the pecking order. And then now you add another player that can play in that front three and you look at Devok Origi. Yeah, it, it does seem like he's definitely getting lower and lower down the pecking order. Um, but I think he'll be useful coming into this run-in. I definitely think a Shakiri coming off the bench or even a Shakiri starting can always be an impact player. But I don't see his future being at Liverpool for too much longer. And I think that's fair because it was in line with the the planning around them. You look at the players like the Dom Solanke's that we signed. Some of these signings aren't signed necessarily just for them to, you know, for them to be a Liverpool great or for them to, to continue, you, you know, to have a successful Liverpool career or even have a long Liverpool career. It's more just to get that turnover and make sure that that turnover is a profit making turnover. I think we've been really smart with some of those, those signings where we brought the players in and either we ship them or we're looking to ship them out for for a profit and if they end up being better than we thought they were eg like a joel matip then cool we get to keep him and and we've kept him um having signed him for such a small fee yeah it, it makes perfect sense and on top of that too uh it feels like maybe this is one instance where if you look at players we've gotten uh down this pipeline nabi Keita, salzburg to leipzig we paid a premium on him right saudi omani Salzburg to Southampton. We paid a premium on them. Just go get players at the source this time. It'll, it'll work out for us. We'll be, we'll be fine. Um, it, you know, maybe save ourselves a transfer in the middle there. Especially since it seems like Salzburg and the Red Bull teams develop players that play like the style we do. So, and it seems like there's a, a bubbling of a partnership between us and them. That's kind of coming up. That's nice to see because you want to see us have good relationships with teams on the continent that we're going to buy players from. Because it can't just be raiding Southampton's closet anymore. Um, we've done that too effectively. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, and I think also um, just the fact that I think his age and the amount of minutes he's already played allows him to make that jump straight from Salzburg to a Liverpool. And then the transfer fee on top of that allows him to develop without that big microscope that comes with the big price tag. So I think those combined... I think allows that jump from straight to Liverpool, then maybe going to uh, a developmental side just before making that big move. Yeah. Plus, you know, he's done it against us on An- at Anfield under the under the floodlights on a nice European night, and now we get to find out if he could do it on a a, a cold, wet Wednesday night in. Uh, I don't know what's the closest thing to Stoke, considering Stoker in the Championship now. Uh, Man United. Man- oh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> Maybe Burnley, probably Burnley. Yeah, yeah. Deitch is like a dime store uh, Pulis. That makes that makes perfect sense. But uh, sticking with Red Bull uh, Salzburg, they do have two other fairly hot commodities. I think we'll talk about uh, Wang He Chan uh, first. He's been rumored to be uh, headed to uh, Wolverhampton. Twenty-three-year-old uh, South Korean international who has played for Red Bull for I think he's made something. He's made thirty. 
he's made 30, 75 appearances for Red Bull Salzburg. Went on a loan twice, once to Hamburg, once to FC Levering, wherever that is. I imagine someplace in Germany or Austria. And then uh, Hamburg. He impressed against, he's another player who impressed against us in the Champions League. Um, Wolves is an interesting place for him to go because that's a side that really has a possibility to finish in the, in the Champions League place this year. Um, what do you, what do you think about the, about Wolves strengthening and where they're choosing to strengthen, which is kind of up, up front in particular on the wings, uh, cause that's basically where, uh, where Heechan plays and he is, uh, he's quite good. Yeah, it's, it's very, very interesting. Um, and I, I wonder if, you know, you, you always wonder what these things, if Liverpool's signing of Minamino may have triggered people to look, take a closer look at some of these contracts at, at Salzburg. Um, but I think it's a smart move for Wolves. They're a club that, you know, is, is pushing and knocking at the door, certainly of the traditional, you know, top six and, and they seem to be doing a really good job. It, it kind of stuttered, um, during the season for them, it seemed, but they definitely regained that, um, that th- form they had last season. I think that that stutter was due to the fact that they just had fixture congestion from the qualifying round of the Europa League. Cause mm. they started slow, but since then they've been a house on fire. Um, First off, also, on behalf of every Liverpool supporter, and we're recording this about two hours before Liverpool and Wolves play at Anfield today, um, on Sunday the 29th. But uh, to every Wolves uh, player and supporter, um, at the moment, thank you very much. Uh, you've, you've helped us uh, immensely, <laughs> and um, I, I, we, I hope that we don't take pity on your team with that, extra, with that last 20, you know, that 24 hours less of uh, recovery time that you had between... Uh, our Boxing Day game versus your game on the 27th. But uh, it's a little wee over. Back to you, Tadeo. <laughs> no worries. Um, just jumping back on on Wang's, you know, from from a profile perspective, he's definitely one of those strikers that I would say he's one of the better strikers with his feet, which is kind of a weird thing to think of. But um, in terms of being really, really quick with his feet and having feet that can match his brain, which we've seen with players, you know, for example, if you look at uh, um, Almiron at Newcastle or old school Aaron Lennon, these type of players are really quick, but it seems like their brain doesn't quite, uh, I mean, their brain doesn't quite match their legs in terms of what they're trying to do. And, you know, it, it ends up resulting in not being that deadly in the final third after doing all the running and dribbling and, 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 and whatnot from it. Um, that's not the case with Juan. Um, when I say he's quick-footed, I don't mean in the Ronaldo sense, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo sense, in terms of, you know, stepovers and, and flicks and flags. But he, he's very, very aware of the distance between himself and defenders, and he's very aware of balance. Um, so he's got really good agility. Probably his favorite moves, and, and we'll come to see it a lot, I think, um, over the years if he does end up at Wolves and, and that's finalized is he loves to cut back. Um, so he'll, he'll make you run at, at a, in a certain direction and then he'll cut back onto his other foot and then take the shot there on or, you know, look for the pass because he, he's very comfortable with both feet. But what he brings with that is his ability to turn and change direction quickly allows him then to look for the pass or look for the shot. And if he's outside the box, he's going to be looking for the pass. And that's where the smart, you know, running of the Jimenezes comes into play. Where if you see them as a, as a front two, I think you know Jimenez would definitely benefit from that because he's got really good off ball movement. 
And then if he's in the box, he's definitely going to be looking to take the shot and he can shoot with either foot. Um, very, very clinical in inside the box and also clinical in terms of the passing that I've spoken about in the final third. In, in Austria, I think he has uh, the, the most successful completed passes in the final third. So he's very comfortable in that sense. And if you look at the, the amount of not just his goals, because all his goals have come inside the box, but if you look at all his shots this season, I can pick out maybe five, if, if I'm looking at his maps now, that have come from outside the box. So he's someone that's not going to be shooting from outside the box all too often. If he's outside the box, he's going to be looking to play it through to the runners. Um, you can imagine the Adam Atorres, then the pace coming from him or the intelligent movement from the Jimenezes. That could be exciting for them. And then if he's in the box, he's got, you know, the, the quick feet to get enough space to pull the shots off. And, and once he's in there, he, he's a comfortable finisher. A very underrated player in terms of that Salzburg front front line. Yeah, on top of that too, um, when it comes to Wolves, they do some really interesting tactical things. Um, you know, because they're they're one of the few sides that play a back three out of, I guess, at this point, desire rather than uh, you know a manager trying to be quirky like uh, like Lampard doing it or when Emery did it. Because I don't think that either one of them really knew what they were doing playing a back three. But the way in which Nuno Espirito Santo sets this up, the forwards that he has on the end, so. It kind of seems like the way in which they usually play is kind of uh, back three, two wing backs, that that the the Portuguese midfield, and then uh, usually it's probably I think it's it's Johnny Otto and Adama Traore behind um, behind Jimenez. So you'd have to figure Huang would basically probably play in the spot that either Otto or Adama plays in. Although I think they should play Adama whenever he's healthy, regardless, because um, he he's incredible. Um, but I think Huang and Adama getting as a supply line to uh, as a supply line to um, Jimenez with those two wing backs, Doherty and uh, and uh, um, Diego Yota, kind of going out there. There's a lot of different ways in which that side can hurt you, um, especially considering the fact that those two midfielders, Neves and Matinho, really are very good passers of the ball. Huang fits seamlessly into that setup and. I think I think it's a I think it's a move that'll allow them to kind of wreck some teams in the second half, and I think that's a thing that Wolves are definitely able to do. Um, you know, once again, does he solve their biggest problem? No, because he's not a defender. But um, we're going to see a common theme with this, right? Does he solve their biggest problem? No, he's not a defender. Is is a huge thing with the transfer window because it seems like there's only right now forward talent going, and there's a lot of bad defensive teams in the Premier League, um, and actually throughout Europe. But I think I think he represents a solid move there, and. Sticking with uh, Salzburg, before we go over to their, their sister club in Leipzig to talk about the biggest fish of the one, I guess there's the uh, the hottest prospect, the, the, the new Zlatan. Um, er, Erling Braut Hallam, uh, the, Nor- the Norwegian striker, 19 years old. Basically, everybody in Europe wants him, and it seems as if he's been linked with two sides, one of which is going to lose out because of where they are in the footballing world, despite the fact that... Uh, Despite Holland's ties to Mold to Mold FK and obviously only only Soskar's ties to Mold FK, um, you've got uh, him basically being linked to both Manchester United and Juve, with Juve actually being the one who's seemingly going to get him. I guess the question there becomes: uh, Where do you think? Do you think he fits with United? Why? What do you think? Do you think he should go there, or do you think he should stay away from United and go to a place like Juve? I mean, he's 19 years old. He's got 
16 appearances with Salzburg, scoring 17 goals. Uh, yeah, he's a very good player, but he's still very young, and a lot has to go right for him to reach his potential. Where do you think it? Uh, where do you think that is? <clears throat> where I think he goes is probably, as you said, either Juventus or Man United, um, because it seems like they're going they're willing uh, to pay the big bucks for him. From Juve's perspective, they're definitely trying to make the squad a lot younger and and bring in some some young talents because that that is a very very old squad. Um, in terms of Man United, it's just a situation of if anyone's going to throw more money at him than Man United, I'll be genuinely surprised. They're going to come in with a big contract offer. They're going to come in with, you know, uh, whether or not the fee comes in at the release clause or something gets worked out more than that to secure a signature or something along those lines. You know, you you never know in those situations. But um, in terms of transfer fees, United will definitely spend, the, would be willing to spend the most for him. And contract, United will be willing to, to give him the biggest contract. Um, Juve could probably try and match them from that perspective, but I still think United would have more muscle when it comes to, to, to this specific player, um, from, from what I've seen. Um, in terms of where I would like him to go, personally, if it was me, um, in his shoes, I would be looking at, um, switching my, my RB jersey for another RB jersey. And heading to Germany and looking to either deputize slash replace Timo Werner. We know Timo Werner isn't going to be, uh, um, isn't going to be there for, for, for long. Um, given maybe even this January, considering the rumors around him, which we'll get to. Um, so he's got maybe at most 18 months, if, if I can stretch it that far, even, uh, before he leaves. Um, RB themselves in, you know, and, and either joins another Bundesliga team or a team closer to home in the Premier League, uh, as we'll discuss later on. Um, I think that will be the perfect place for him. One, he can come in, um, continue the role that Timo Werner has been playing for, for, for RB and he can come in and grow as a player in a young squad that's got a really, really interesting coach that's really good at developing players. As you said, he's still really, really young. Um, he's got a lot to learn, and if he makes that jump to a Man United way too soon, the expectation. I have. Oh, wait a minute! Wait a minute! Hashtag. We we have we have breaking news since we've started oh, recording this podcast. He's going to Dortmund. Oh my goodness! That's that is actually, incredible. That is this is a first transfer pod breaking news. <laughs> it's that is incredible. I, Bundesliga English tweeted this literally two minutes ago in the group chat that. One of the AI group chats I'm in has confirmed, but Holland is is going to Dortmund. So, uh, <laughs> I think we I think we have to discuss, talk about that quickly. Uh, that's a good signing for a side that's in trouble. It's a great signing for a club that's in trouble. Um, wow, that's big news. Um, I think from from an attacking standpoint, they they're definitely going to have an ex- exciting attacking threat line and. That's another team where youngsters can come in, develop. Uh, I'll be like, really interested to see how how he's actually escaped the 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 RB to RB move. That I think that's going to be quite contentious. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that develops and, and research that. But I think going to Dortmund, another club that he knows um, is going to help in his development, and importantly, he knows. When it, when push comes to shove, Dortmund are willing to sell their big players. 
And I think <clears throat> if you're not moving to a Man United or Juventus or one of the final destination clubs, you definitely need to pick a club you know is going to be um, willing to sell you later on. And obviously, I'm, I'm sure those discussions would have already happened in terms of, you know, once he's ready, they would probably let him go. And the, how well he plays will probably depend on, you know, the pricing and the financial side of it. But um, I think that, that that's an interesting move. Um, whether or not he's a direct replacement for the likes of, you know, the rumored Jadon Sancho uh, moving from you, the club. You know where I was going to go with this. <laughs> Is Sancho 2020 back on? I, I, I don't think there's any way they can sell Sancho. They're not going to sell Sancho in January. Now it's a league that I don't, No, I, I don't think in January. Um, and, I, and he's definitely not a direct um, replacement as well. Which obviously is the would would be the question, but I think what he does is he adds he adds more depth. He's he allows them maybe to just secure things and and solidify things in Dortmund. He'll get bags of goals. He'll be allowed to grow at Dortmund. They've got the attacking fluidity that will allow him to grow. Whether or not it's the perfect club for him, I'm still gonna say no. I'm still gonna say that it was um, the RB to RB switch would have been the best move for him from. From a development standpoint, and also from well, um, position. yeah, league, <laughs> league position as well, but stylistically as well, to be able to to go into a team that's going to be playing very similar to how you're used to playing, and you get to become the star man in very very quick quick span of time for a team that's potentially winning a league title. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's interesting to me. Plus, now it also gives me uh, a pause because on the way. The way in which my mind works is not well, but one of the ways in which it does work is I try to connect a lot of things to see exactly how far-fetched something uh, seems that I could put together. And between the walk from the subway to my house, which was 15 minutes after the Leicester-Liverpool uh, game with Trent Celebration, I had talked myself into thinking Mbappe 2020 is on. And now this move of Haaland to BBB, knowing that <clears throat> that means that he, they're probably paving the way for Sancho to go. Leads me to think that maybe it's Sancho 2020. I don't know. I we'll have to find that out in the summer. But I feel like one of these two big fish might be might be headed Liverpool way, and I'm sure there'll be no discussion of it whatsoever on any podcast between now and then. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, speaking of the Red Bull, uh, you know affiliates, I guess we can uh, you know fi- finishing off our six pack of re- or four pack of Red Bull. Um, Timo Werner. Who's really, you know, a player who we were linked with two seasons, two summers ago, uh, had a little bit of a downstretch and now is basically on fire in the Bundesliga. Um, rumored to be going from RB Leipzig to Chelsea. Reason being is he's played down his contract and Leipzig wanted, I, I, I don't know if it's a question of want to cash in on him, but need to cash in on him because of their business model, which would be a shame because of the way in which they've played this season and the possibility they have towards, you know, actually winning the Bundesliga. Um, I guess the question is, A, why? Why would you do this if you're, if you're Leipzig? And besides the obvious, the money is something that they need. But B, is he really a player that Chelsea have an immediate need for, knowing that, like, their big thing needs to be securing top four? And scoring goals isn't their problem. Stopping other teams from scoring goals is their problem. So I guess the question is, if you're, if you're Chelsea, why is this your priority? I think 
the biggest factor for Chelsea is probably the fact that Michy Bashua hasn't developed the way they would have wanted him to. Um, even as a backup striker, he doesn't seem to be as effective as you would want from a player of his profile. You know, even just looking across at his direct competitor in terms of from a national perspective, um, him and Divock Origi came in and about the, the national team in and around the same time. Um, he, at one point in time, jumped ahead of Origi, definitely in terms of favor from, from the Belgian national team. But if you look at both their careers, Origi has accepted his position as the backup striker. Um, Betchouai hasn't. Whether or not, um, I, I just don't know what's going on with him, but Origi, he can come on and make an impact and he's happy to do that and know that it doesn't necessarily maybe impact that he's going to be starting the next game or something along those lines. But it seems like Batshuayi maybe wants that in the sense that when you've seen him go out alone and he's the star man, he seems to come alive. Then he comes back to Chelsea. He knows, it seems like he knows that no matter how well he plays, he's not going to be number one choice. So his attitude is kind of, then why bother? Um, you know, and obviously not knowing the guy, I can't say for a definite that's what it's like, but that's what it seems like. And have seen and, and heard from people that have trained him and, you know, have been in and around him. The biggest concern with Batuai, um, sorry, is that he doesn't, he doesn't execute the tactical side of the game that's asked of him um, by managers. Um, and if you look, th- this problem comes in, you know, the older you get as a player. When you come in when you're young, if you look at, for example, the Rashfords and stuff, when they come in, the Daniel James, I'm picking Man United players here as examples, but they're good examples nonetheless. But when they come into the team and they, they, they come in with such a big impact, um, it's because when you're so young, you don't want to give the youngsters too many tactical restrictions um, on their game. You sort of just let them go out with that youthful exuberance and let them play their game and everyone else can kind of cover in and around them. The difficulty then comes in when they become important players in the team and you're not asking them to do more tactical things. That's when they start to maybe lose, you know, a little bit of that spark that they had. And, you know, that's when you start separating the, the good players from the, the, the really good players and the great players and the world-class players is when you now start getting required to do those tactical things, can you still execute the other things that you were doing? Um, if you look at Batshuayi, Going back to Batshuayi, managers say that he doesn't do that. He totally disregards the tactics that he's been asked to implement, and he sort of just plays his own game, and which is kind of to the detriment of the entire team. So unless you're building an entire team around him, then it's it's going to be very difficult to to want to play him or you know to bring him on too early into games. Maybe in the 75th minute when games have broken down and maybe it's not as tactical and teams are really defensive, then you can throw him and you can see that's kind of been his role at Chelsea. Now, bringing in a Timo Werner, one, it brings competition for Tammy Abram, like legitimate competition. And two, it probably brings in a more higher profile um, attacking player. It maybe knocks or probably knocks Tammy Abram from that number one spot. But what it then allows is Tammy Abram can then grow next to another striker, whether or not they're playing together they definitely can pl- can practice together and they definitely can grow together. So you have one in Tammy Abram where there were a couple of weeks where he wasn't in form, but because he's the only real striker at, at Chelsea that they could rely on, 
he had to play week in, week out. Whereas in those situations, maybe it would have been ideal to take him out of the team. We've seen it with the likes of Joe Gomez. Klopp has done that really well, where whenever Joe Gomez has a poor stint, Klopp basically takes him out the team and he doesn't play him unless he has to because of injuries. Um, because you want these youngsters not to, um, you know, not to get that bad stigma and that you know how the media is nowadays. Um, Timo Werner would bring definitely goal scoring threat, bring the link up play with those young, exciting wingers. And he's a natural born striker, natural born finisher, which is always exciting for any team to come. Once again, it's, it's a, it's a random move in terms of would I do that if I was in his shoes? Yeah, I don't know that I would either, but then again, if, if you look at the top destinations in Europe right now, I think you're a bit flummoxed on where you go. Cause I think, I feel like him and Luka Jovic in similar situations and Jovic has gone to Real Madrid and I think uh, he was last seen on a milk carton someplace. So, um, you know, I, I don't know, uh, you know, if you want to look to those Spanish giants and that would be a move for him. He's gonna, if he goes to Bayern, is he gonna play? Is he gonna, is he gonna displace Lewandowski the way Lewandowski's playing and seemingly can still just bang in goals for fun? Um, Dortmund obviously just signed a striker <laughs> while we were on this podcast. And, uh, basically it leaves you with, he's probably gonna have to go someplace in, in England, right? Now, <clears throat> I would actually think that United would be a place that works for him too, because if you're looking at Holland, you should also be looking at Werner and, I think that United actually could threaten to do something dangerous if they'd put kind of someone like a, a Werner or a Holland between Rashford and Martial, because that would actually be a front three that would scare people. And then you still have David James waiting out there as a, you know, kind of a fourth, a fourth sub, impact sub. That right there is actually the, the makings of a good forward line, and I hope that they never pick up on it. Yeah. <laughs> that's a scary thought. Yeah, it's a, um, that's a good I'm forward line. Don't that too loudly. Don't yeah, yeah. I mean, Martial, Martial's been good lately. Rashford's come up a level. I still think he's, you know, going to be one of those guys who's just going to be a very good player instead of a great one. But, you, so, you know, sometimes you can have very good players and win leagues. Um, it, but especially for, <laughs> for the style that Man United are playing, where it's, you know, it's, it's they're basically a glorified uh, bottom-half team in that... They're using bottom half team tactics um, yeah. in their games, and you can see why they struggle against the bottom half teams because then they're playing like for like. But if fine, fair enough. If if you're gonna be, you know, if you're gonna use that, cool. Um, but what what comes with that is then you need a really fast, really clinical front three. Yeah. Um, and Daniel James is still young. He's going to be in, inconsistent, as I've alluded to, with the tactics coming in. Um, he's similar. also a real nasty piece of work and kind of unlikable, but that's just me. I, th- I think that's that's kind of a trait that comes with United players at times. But there's always one or two in their team that that just grind your gears. Um, but yeah, from 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 their perspective, if that's going to be their style, then that's when you know you look at those attacking players that just have pace and and are clinical. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. So. We're, we're done with Red Bull. Um, we, we've gotten our wings uh, for this week. And now I think it's time to talk a little bit more about Liverpool. You know, we spoke about Minamino, but let's, let's go to the other side of the house, which is um, we have some young players uh, who aren't getting a ton of minutes. In particular, Rian Brewster uh, has been has come up with this. So there's a, but I'm trying to think about all the other young guys who are, on the, who are 
on the verge of, of being ready for the first team. And I guess it's really kind of, you're talking about Rian Brewster, Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott. Um, of those three, which one do you keep around to train with the first team? And which one do you start to loan out for getting uh, game experience? So I guess uh, let's talk about Rian Brewster first. Um, a, a guy who, if you're, if you're like me and discuss, you know, have multiple different text message threads, uh, and, and WhatsApp threads with other Liverpool supporters, I mean, one where basically before the season started, I, I was obviously complaining about the lack of depth up front. And this guy, and a friend of mine basically had said, well, Brewster's going to fill that hole. Just watch him step in. Um, we're 19, we're, we're in our 19th game week of the, uh, Premier League season so far. And I don't think Rian Brewster has actually, uh, gotten a competitive first team league, uh, performance, uh, or even substitute appearance. He's made a few benches. And I guess the question is, uh, what do, what do you do with him? Playing in the under twenty threes, he's he's gone as far as he can. Um, where really the question is, where are you looking to loan him? Yeah, I, I I think that's definitely the the question that you have to ask. And I think for him, and it's a trait that we've seen with Klopp throughout his his tenure at Liverpool is that even if players are going to be loaned out, um, he does like to keep them around at least for the first six months with some of them, and then maybe you'll start seeing them have back-to-back loans um, later on. But, for example, with Brewster, he was in and around the, the first team for the preseason. He's been in and around the first team for the entire first six months, barring injuries and, and niggles and stuff like that. But what that allows is at least he gets to train under Klopp. He gets to get the instructions from Klopp of how he wants him to develop what is required from him from club. I'm sure they've had the conversations one-on-one and then obviously all the conversations with the coaches and, and in and around the, the training pitch. So the good thing for him is that he would have had that six months where he's based, he pretty much was a first team player bar actually stepping onto the, uh, onto the pitch for, as, as, as you said, you know, for a, a, a league game or, or any game of real significance considering how you know, we don't necessarily have that much regard for the Carabao Cup at the moment, whether or not due to fixture congestion or just in the earlier rounds, you usually play a, a less experienced team, should I say. So from from that perspective, I look at it more as just a training exercise the first six months. And then once he's gotten that training, he can then go out on loan and put all that training to good use. So what you ideally want is a club that plays similar to us, it will be difficult to find someone that plays exactly like us, especially if you're looking, you know, either in the championship, which seems the most likely destination for him, you know, um, or lower in the Premier League. But uh, I doubt it's going to be any team lower in the Premier League. I think it's going to be championship for him. Um, you look at the Swansea's, maybe leads at a stretch. Um, but it, it seems like Swansea are the front runners for him and, and I can see why they would, you know, Liverpool be targeting them to, to send him out on loan to try and execute the things that, that he's been, he's been asked to execute in training. I think the difficult thing for him as well is from a start, from a striker perspective, he's probably more similar to a Divock Origi than a Firmino in terms of stylistically, um, even though he's not quite exactly as, as bold and, um, as cocky, if I can say, with the ball as, as Divock Origi would be, who's willing to take players on. Um, but I suppose that comes with age. So I think it was always going to be difficult for him to come in as a replacement number nine. 
um, especially at his age as well. Klopp doesn't just throw in youngsters uh, in there unless he really, really has to. Um, so I think a loan spell, I wouldn't be surprised if this six-month loan spell, then after you know this season he comes back for another preseason and then goes straight out on loan this time for, for a full year of, of football. That, that wouldn't surprise me at all. It seems to be the, the, the game plan that Klopp uses with his loans at Liverpool. Um, he's still very young. He can still have a future at Liverpool. So I'm not too worried about him from, from an age perspective and from a development perspective. If you look at uh, Curtis Jones, he's had a, a, a few more involvements with regards to the first team. I think he's, he's probably the closest you. player. I mean, he's Yeah, yeah, so exactly. That's a, that's a starting so point. He, yeah, definitely, definitely. And and it's a big thing for for as I said for a club for a club team as a youngster coming through, you know, if you look offhand, you know, everyone shouts Trent Alexander-Arnold, but if you look at our right back situation when Trent had to come in, um it makes sense why he came in. It, it Klopp I mean, doesn't just throw did, young players in. There. I mean, he debuted because of an injury to Nathaniel Klein in a game against United and held his own. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, fair play to him. Once you take that opportunity, you know, and shown you can do it, Klopp is happy to keep you in there. But he doesn't want to expose you as a young player. And we saw in, in the bigger games early on, um, Klopp would rather put Gomez there than, than Trent. Um, and, and, and goes in lining with, you know, the Klopp philosophy when it comes to youngsters. Um, Jones has had a few performances. There are rumors that he is going to be going out on loan. Um, once again, the Swansea's come up, the Leeds have come up. Middlesbrough perhaps have come up as well. But I think for him, if we had more injuries or if the injuries to the likes of Fabinho, who we obviously uh, don't get me going when it comes to Liverpool and, and reporting injuries, which fair play, we, I understand why we do it, but we definitely don't tell the, the, the whole truth when it comes to injury lengths and, and severity of injuries. But that's another story. But if we have, let's say, another big injury in midfield between now and him going out on loan and the ones that we already have are seen as big ones, I think Jones might be held back at the, not held back from a development standpoint, but held back at the club just to remain as cover because he seems like someone that Klopp might be, you know, growing in and out. Uh, I mean, growing into trusting him more to, to play serious minutes. Uh, and then the last one, Harvey Elliott, um, he's still, he's still a kid. So I, I don't see him going out on loan. I would be very surprised if he went out on loan. I think the club will be happy for him to stay in the developmental group, um, working closely with Pep Linders. If he's playing, you know, the FA Cups, if we go far in the FA Cups, I think that could be a really important tournament for him. And then if, you know, for example, if, you know, if, if the league form favors us and, and we tie up the league pretty, you know, pretty early on and, and we start focusing on Champions League, for example, you could see him, um, featuring maybe more prominently coming into those, those league squads and, and maybe getting sub appearances and maybe at a stretch getting, getting a start in the Premier League. But I, I don't really see, foresee him getting a start in the Premier League this season, maybe a few sub appearances off the bench and, and we'll be happy with that in terms of a developmental standpoint and, as I said, as also because the fact that he's just come into the club this year, I think Klopp will be wanting to keep him just to keep um, training him with the first team, training him into the style of how we want to play. There, there will be time for him to go out on loan if, if need be later on in, in, in his Liverpool career. I think. 
Yeah, I think I, I yeah. think I think I'm pretty much with you on those. The one thing I'd like to see actually that was Curtis Jones um, be be kept at Anfield because you know with with injuries and the depth of the midfield, it, there's a shot for him in the short term to eat into the minutes that Alex Oxley Chamberlain would play because he's going to occupy that attacking midfielder role. I'm not saying he's a like for like replacement for Ox because I don't see the you know the game stretching vertical speed that Ox has in Curtis Jones. But he is a forward-thinking player who can occupy some of those same positions. And if Ox is going to be out for eight weeks, um, considering the fact that we are pathological liars about injuries, I'd rather have the insurance, uh, the insurance valve of having a player who plays that position, plays it well, and who the manager seems to cl- trust. Because I don't think Klopp is going to hand Curtis Jones a debut just to say, here, feel good about this. I think it's more about the times like, hey, man, you're going to have to play in this, so... We're going to start getting your feet wet. Um, I, I think that that feels more like something that we might do with Curtis Jones. Um, Brewster, I, w- I would loan because I don't think he gets a look in over. That. He's not better than Debakarigi at the moment, and he doesn't get a look in over him. And we have, we're six deep at the forward position once Minamino comes in. So that's going to basically shut off all the opportunities he's going to have to play for the rest of the season. And I, he just needs to play games. Um, I haven't been impressed with him when he's played that much at the upper, at the higher level so far. But once again, it's all usually in cup competitions with teams that have had five players who've just met 12 minutes before the match. So um, it's tough to evaluate him, and he just needs to go out and get a run of games in a settled lineup with with players whose tendencies he gets to know, so that we can understand and see what kind of striker he can be. And then Elliot, yeah, you have to keep him in the development of group. He, he's he's 16. Um, if he gets a if he gets um, you know. A few minutes, he plays in the FA Cup. Um, he gets, you know, a few minutes here and there, maybe a minute or two. I can't see him playing in the league is basically what I'm saying, but get him in the FA Cup. If we advance, he's playing that competition. If they don't, he gets to play games in the under 23s, which is fine because that's an appropriate level for him because he's 16 years old, right? Most guys his age and, and talent level. I mean, most of the guys his age are probably playing U19s anyway, so the U23s is even just a skip level for him as far as preparing him for a first-team berth. And uh, that's that's really where I see Harvey Elliott. Um, I guess that's that's really brings us to the end of this. Um, Tadila, you got anything to plug? You doing? Uh, you, you want to talk about uh, Rato Hate or anything on the free side? Uh, just quickly, Nat Williams. Um, oh, sorry, Nat Phillips. Nat. Yeah, we can talk about Phillips. Nat Phillips. Yeah, so we recalled <laughs> Nat Phillips from Stuttgart. I did not watch any... Uh, but I've not watched much Bundesliga two this year or any year because I, I can't get into second divisions of German football. Um, my wife will kill me. Um, but I mean, I, I got to take it on face value that Klopp is bringing him back because he says he's playing well. Um, it feels like one of those things where basically we just need the body and defense. And I could see him coming back, Matip and Lovren, depending on when they come back, taking his taking his place and he then just playing the U23s again. Um, I, 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 it, it, uh, it's, it makes sense because there's probably no reason to go out to the transfer market to buy a player now when in reality we just wait six months and it seems like it'll be lovering out the door and another younger defender to come in who's probably going to be kind of a third or a fourth choice type player. Yeah, and I, I think it also, considering that um, Stuttgart fired their manager, even though they're in third place in in their division, um, obviously they they want to be guaranteed pretty much. They basically want to be first and and getting looking to get that promotion to to the Bundesliga. But 
I think maybe there was a bit of uncertainty once they fired their manager, whether or not Phillips would get as much favor and whether or not the playing style, probably more importantly, was going to change for Stuttgart because at, before, you know, before they fired the manager, they did have a more ball, center back ball friendly, um, system that we would obviously, we adopt and, and we would favor and we would look our center backs to be integrated into, especially ones going out on loan, so that once they come back, they've got those minutes playing as a ball-playing center back. But um, I think that coupled with the injuries that we have, I think it was just a time for us to bring him back from loan, um, make sure we bring him back you know, from the offset of January. If our injuries improve, I think I can see him even going back out on loan um, somewhere else. I, to Stuttgart, consider, you know, after having evaluated and seen how their how their team is shaping the style of play, obviously with the Bundesliga in um, the winter win, um, winter breaks, that might be difficult to assess, and maybe that comes with the thinking once again. Is maybe we might send them to another team that plays more similar to us, and in keeping with what he was doing when he was on loan at Stuttgart before they fired their coach. I think that was that all those things were a factor in in bringing him back. One, being the backup in case we need him. Two, after the firing of their manager, we needed to reassess the position that he was going to be in in terms of going out on loan and, and being asked to do the things we need from a ball-playing centre-back if he's going to have a future at Liverpool. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I mean, at a certain point at a player his age, he, he, he also just might have to, uh, he might have to accept that he's, uh, you know, just probably not going to get minutes for Liverpool. And, I don't know how I got to that thought. <laughs> Either way, um, I, I I hope that uh, I hope we don't have to use him when he comes back. I mean, that's clearly just a depth move, and it's the type of thing where it's just it, you know he he's a break glass, and uh, that's 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 uh, you know it's not, it's not to be mean to him. It's just that is what it is. He's a break glass, and we don't want to see that. You know, we don't want to see that have to happen. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, I think that that brings us to the end. Uh, to Diwa. Do you, want to, do you want to plug any of the uh, shows you're doing on either the free side or uh, on pro? Um, yeah, definitely. I will be on Nina Kauser's post-match show after the, the Wolves game. Or, you know, I, I don't know if you would have listened to that before this one comes out. But so I was either going to be on or I was on <laughs> the, the Nina Kauser show post-Wolves. Hopefully that was a 3.1 and we get to celebrate what has been an incredible year for Liverpool so far in the Premier League. And then also we got a double header coming for Rate Don't Hate. Um, we couldn't get one in for the Leicester game, considering how close these two games are, you know, back to back. So we thought we'll just do a double header. So Rate Don't Hate, that's going to be on the subscriber side. That's going to have um, the Leicester game where there's quite some interesting ratings there. Um, and then also the Wolves game uh, coming up. We we should be doing that this coming Monday, so it should be out either Monday or Tuesday. And as for me, um, you'll find me on the Nina Kauser show post Sheffield United, which this will definitely come out before, um, potentially a USA pod at some point soon, but more likely looking towards the uh, first international break of the year for that. And uh, I think that basically is it. So um, from Tadiwa and myself, uh, thank you very much. About uh, the Reds.
Social Podcast Network.